and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast by Ubs Partners. I'm your host, Sir Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about bankrupt builders. Will Scarborough's collapse cause contagion? Now, I tell you what, <laughs> one of our team, Sammy, was on the phone to a first-time buyer the other day, and one of their major concerns was that I've seen builders collapsing in the media. And the most recent one is a company called Scarborough, mainly based out of Auckland. And that raised a whole heap of questions. Does that mean that if I'm buying a new build, my developer might go broke as well? What's the risk of developers going broke? And are there going to be even more builders collapsing? And I can totally understand that concern and that worry that if you're potentially buying a new build that's not built yet, hey, what happens if my builder does go bust? Now, Andrew, kick it off. Many people won't know who Scarborough was or what the company was. So what's the story there? Okay, so Scarborough, Auckland-based, and they built some residential properties, mostly big apartments, and most of those were for the government, actually. And they did a lot of office and hotel builds. And they're a pretty chunky company, about 60 staff, and they had five major projects at the time that they went into liquidation. Now, it's important to note, often you'll see these scary headlines about developers failing. But then if you actually dig into the detail, you probably realize that these aren't the kind of developers that you're going to be likely buying from if you're a first-time buyer or if you're an investor. And one of the things that was actually quite interesting about this situation is as soon as they went into liquidation, they took their website down. So I had to do some digging through internet archives to get a better understanding of who these guys actually are because I couldn't just go on their website and be like, oh, they're primarily building hotels and offices with some residential construction, but they're not doing a standard turnkey offering like many other developers who you'll actually be buying through. Now, Andrew, why did these guys, why did Scarborough go under? So according to the liquidators, the people who have taken over and their job is to sell all the business assets and recoup as much money as they can for any creditors, they've got projects that have been pushed out. They've had the rising price of construction. They've had delays from COVID. They've had labour shortages, and the recent Auckland storm seems to be the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think the major one here is that they've got these upcoming projects that they expected to have work from, and then that's been pushed out. So that pipeline of work has become thinner. Now, even though no one's buying an investment property off Scarborough, certainly not in the way that we often talk about on this show, it's still worth mentioning these guys and going through the details because there have also been a number of other high-profile collapses, right? Yeah, Stroud Homes in Pukekohe, they're a franchise of an Australian firm, that was this year. Jones Construction in Wellington in 2022, DDL in 2022, and Maxim, who are Christchurch builders in 2021. And there will be more to come. And there's many other smaller ones that you'll see happening, you know, in the media from time to time. It's really interesting that often construction or building companies get a lot of media profile. But that's not just because we're all interested in building. There is a significant number of businesses that fail in the construction industry. So if I look at the last three months of 2022, for instance, just last year, about a quarter of liquidations were from the construction sector. In those three months alone, 108 firms in construction went belly up. That's according to BWA, which is an insolvency company. Now, that sounds like a lot, you know, 108 firms, really, in three months. But a lot of those will be small builders, one-man bands, plumbers, and electricians, those kinds of things. 
And one of the things we don't know is whether that's an increase from normal. So is it normal for a quarter of liquidations to be from the construction industry? I actually don't have the data to be able to tell whether that's the case. We don't have long-running data. But what I do know is that the number of liquidations happening has gone down steadily since 2010. So it might actually surprise you, but back in 2010, there were about 800 liquidations every three months. At the moment, we're under 400. So there's half as many liquidations going on today as there were only about 13 years ago. So this type of liquidation is actually becoming less and less likely. One thing that I do want to mention is we're probably going to see a bit of an increase in liquidations in the coming year or so. And the strange thing about COVID is we were really worried as we were going into lockdown that a whole heap of companies were going to go bust. But here's the thing, there was so much government support that that meant that there were a lot of firms that would have or perhaps should have closed, but they were able to keep going because of that government support. Now, they're the ones that are starting to fail. So we'll likely see a bit of an uptick in liquidations, but that's also because we've had such a decrease already over the last couple of years. And some of these will be liquidations that would have happened anyway. They've just been delayed. Now, of course, Andrew, that doesn't mean that things are all good and firms aren't going to fail because they're still at risk, right? Correct. And I think the big question is, well, which firms are more likely to go under? Now, Usually, it tends to be some of those smaller firms with less cash compared to the bigger firms that, you know, probably are better, they have bigger war chests to be able to weather the storms. Now, that doesn't mean that if you go with a big name that you're completely unlikely to have anything go wrong. There is still that possibility that some of those big firms have big overheads. But looking at some of the firms on the list that have failed, you've got Stroud, Jones, Maxim, they're all builders rather than what we would call turnkey developers. Now, a builder is someone that you're going to pay progressively to build a project for you. Whereas a turnkey developer, they will have a deposit held in solicitor's trust, and then you'll have them building the project, and you're not actually paying for it until the building's complete. So there is, in my opinion, less risk with this type of option if you're an investor or a purchaser, because you know, if you're using someone like a, a Wolfbrook or a Williams or a Brooksfield, you're not actually giving them your money until you've got a property with code of compliance and title. Now, if they did go under during that construction period of time, your deposit should be protected, assuming that your contract has been appropriately structured to mean that your deposit doesn't go to them until completion. Yeah, the difference between builders and developers is an important one because with those guys like your Strouds, your Maxim, your Jones that have fallen over, you are hiring them to build you a house. So you, you are hiring them and consuming their services. That is different from a developer, like Andrew mentioned, because you are purchasing a property from them. And what we do tend to see is that a lot of the people who are falling over are builders as opposed to developers. And there's a bit of a fine line difference there that is sometimes missed when it comes to the media. If we're talking about Scarborough, who are the ones who most recently fell over, again, those guys are primarily builders and being hired to build projects as opposed to developing properties and selling them to the public. And so the amount of risk depends on both how large the company is. Again, a lot of these people are smaller, though Scarborough is on the larger side. So a lot of the risk depends on how large the firms are, 
but then also what is their business model? Are they developers or are they builders? And you might ask, does this mean there are going to be lots of other builders falling over? Is this going to cause contagion? Which effectively means if Scarborough's falling over, is that going to cause even more builders to fall over? And I think the only reason that might happen is if Scarborough's collapse meant that people no longer had confidence in the construction sector anymore, and so people stopped buying properties that are not built yet. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because they weren't actually building for customers, people like you and me. If we look at Maxim and Jones Construction, and we actually talked about both of those on the podcast as well, you'll be able to find those in the podcast archive if you search for those names. Those are the sort of builders where if they fall over, you start getting news articles talking about first home buyers and families who thought they were going to have a house built and they were going to be able to live in it with their family. And now they've got a half built house and they're in a really bad financial situation. We're not going to see that with Scarborough. And because of that, I don't think we are going to see much risk at all of contagion. You know, people saying, I'm not going to buy a house because Scarborough fell over. Well, you could get some contagion is if a high profile builder fell over. So if you think about all the large builders that are kind of household names, maybe a Mike Greer or a G.J. Gardner, now I'm not saying any of those guys are are necessarily going to fall over, I have no opinion either way. If one of those guys fell over, that's where you could get a bit of contagion because people start to lose confidence. But let me ask you this, Andrew, do you think you'll see developers fall over within the next, let's call it 12 months? Absolutely. It's not just about the rising building costs or the higher interest rates or delays in buildings. It's got to do with the fact that during the housing price boom, consent skyrocketed and there was a lot of demand for new build properties. And if you're a developer that was selling off plan buildings, all you need to do was have a plan, put it on Facebook and you could sell it. But that market has changed. It's no longer there and there will be quite a dramatic pullback in the construction and development sales. And so because of that, There are more listings of both new builds and also existing properties on the market. And so some people who were, you know, only able to buy a new build because there was just so much demand for properties, they've now got the option to buy an existing property because there's actually something there that they can go and buy. It's down the street from them and they might prefer to do that. They don't have to wait for something to be delivered. And as that happens, there will be a weeding out of some of these developers. And so more of those businesses will close. I think it's absolutely fascinating that there are twice as many properties available on trademenrealestate.co.nz than at the peak of the market. And so because there weren't that many properties available for sale, people did go out and buy more new builds. Now, how do you protect yourself, Andrew? Okay, you're out there, you're an investor, you want to get some of the benefits of buying a new build property, some of those tax benefits and low deposit benefits. How do you protect yourself when choosing a developer? So I personally only go with turnkey properties. So that that is my preference. I know that there are some advantages of having a progressive payment build, but I prefer to de-risk my purchases by going with turnkey. And that's certainly what we advocate here at Opus. And you need to do a bit of due diligence on the construction firm you're using, regardless of which type of contract you're going with. And then I think the key thing is if you are buying a turnkey package, you need to make sure that your deposit sits in a lawyer's trust account and it needs to stay there until completion of the build. And I've seen instances where people have paid deposits direct to builders, that's a big no-no, or that the money goes in a lawyer's trust account 
but it gets released at a certain stage of the build, that's a no-no as well. You don't want it to be released until the build is actually complete. And look, if you want to learn more about the differences between turnkey and progressive contracts, because that is a, a very important difference, or how to do due diligence on your developer, hey, we've got articles about that on our website. So just go to opuspartners.co.nz. Now, look, I do just want to get on my soapbox for a minute, and I want to tackle the idea that all business failure is bad. So, you know, the good thing about New Zealand is it is really easy to start a business. And because of that, lots of people will start businesses. And we've got to be prepared for the fact that not every business that starts is going to be a good business. Some of them are going to be inefficient or people will start businesses that there's no real customer base for. And some of them will fall over. And sometimes that'll be quick and Other times, an established business will fail because they can't satisfy their customers or they can't get enough of them or they're not meeting what's available in the market anymore. And I think where a lot of Kiwis could benefit is just a wee change of mindset because sometimes a weeding out of businesses, the closing down of inefficient businesses, is actually a good thing because every business consumes resources, whether that's people working for it, whether it's building materials, whether it's whatever it happens to be. And when those close down, those resources can be used by more efficient and better run businesses. So if we're thinking about construction, the fact that Scarborough's gone, I'm not saying that they're they're bad or inefficient business. I don't have that level of detail about them. But now that they're not around, we're in a really tight labour market at the moment. So there's 60 more people who could go and work for other construction firms if they are in need of more staff. There's a whole heap of building materials that are now going to be available for other people to finish those projects or perhaps use them on other projects that are currently going. And sometimes we see things about business failure and we get really scared about it. But an amount or a certain amount of business failure is both necessary and desirable in a free market economy. And I know some people think, oh, that Ed's not a very nice person. He (laughs) thinks it's a good thing that my friend's business closed down. Not necessarily. I'm not saying about any specific business, but an amount of business failure needs to happen to make way for better run businesses. Let's wrap it up there. But I tell you what, one thing you could really do to help us grow the show is send this podcast to a friend who's also worried about a builder going under. Or if you've had any conversations about what happens if some builders fall over, what does it mean for me? Might be useful to share this episode. That's one way you can really help us grow. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Deb Knight. Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.